Graham McMillan, I have a cold open for you. <laughs> okay. Gratis. Go. I got to say, one of the things that is going to drive me crazy that we're not going to have time to talk about because of all the issues that we have to power through is uh, there is one thing that I realize really, really bugs me about this combination of the Fantastic Four. You mean the team combination? Yeah. The team combination is visually uninteresting to me. I'm not a big fan of the thing as Gila Monster. I'm fascinated by the extent to which Ms. Marvel is, um, if nothing else, it's kind of like she's the she thing, but she's on a book where there's already the thing. And then you have Crystal, who is basically Crystal in her Fantastic Four outfit. I guess it could be argued that the Fantastic Four themselves are... I feel they're very familiar, but sort of each one does like a different thing. You know what I mean? And there's something weird about the Fantastic Four under Englehart. It sort of makes sense that you've got the thing and you've got she thing. And then you basically have Johnny with fire powers. And then half the time, Crystal has fire powers as well. I think this is a stupid, nerdy fanboy point to make, admittedly, but I, I gotta say, it is something that I, I found myself being like, I, I really found myself longing for something that was visually more different and therefore more compelling. And I also want to tie that together from, I was recently reading a, a, an issue of the most recent Gwenpool, I think, where Dr. Doom shows up. I was not paying any fucking attention, but Dr. Doom is a visually blank character now. You know what I mean? Where they did that thing of like, he's like, I am Dr. Doom and I'm now super easy to draw because I talk like Werner Herzog when Jeff is trying to do me in an imitation, but I look like a mannequin robot with a cloak, you know? And kind of the promo art that I've seen for Marvel 2-in-1 where I'm like, the thing looks visually even less interesting now than he is in Gila Monster phase thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's I think that's very I think you're you're one hundred percent right. I think that I actually like Gila Monster thing to an extent, mm -hmm. but there's some wacky things going on with him in this run. He he starts becoming more normalized in terms of proportion, mm -hmm. which is less interesting to me. Right. Um there's there's a I wanna say it's like three twenty four or something. Mm -hmm. There's a splash where like he and, and uh, Sherry and Johnny are walking towards the, the reader mm -hmm. and Sherry and Thing both like have relatively human proportions, right. and I was just like, no, right, no, yeah. that's not, no, that does not work. But you're right. There, there's, um, there's a visual variety when you have the classic FF. Mm -hmm. Ben is distinct from Reed. Is distinct from Sue. Is distinct from Johnny. Yeah, uh, that it's not present in this this outing. And but that said, the power set thing that you were talking about, mm -hmm. I think is intentional. Angle Hart's point. Yes. I think he, I think he's purposefully doing that. Yeah, I, um, to play play the couple's aspect. Yes, which I, which believe me, I get it thematically makes sense, but I have to say that there were times where visually, I found myself being 
just kind of... Uh, I don't want to say flat out bored because I think that's overstating it a little bit but I kind of felt like it didn't do a lot of um, it didn't do a lot of favors because in the sense of you've got you know um, it's it's all being inked by Joe Sinnott you know so Sinnott has a certain comfortable familiarity that really you know, quote unquote works and you get a lot of stuff that's being done by uh, Keith Pollard, um, which I, I actually really enjoy looking at Pollard's work, but it's very safe to mm. say that it's very traditional. It's not like if oh, Walt's... oh, it's it's kind of amazingly traditional to think about like this is happening in like 91. Oh, no, no, I we're not that far up. You're right. Sorry. We're like 88 and 89, admittedly closer okay. to you, but, but still... your end than 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 yeah. the, than the, the to the former than the latter. But and it may be because the shit that Engelhart's doing is so wacky that the more traditional art kind of keeps it somewhat comforting and familiar, I think. Like, I think if it was Engelhart writing it and you had Walt Simonson drawing it, people would just be like, no, I can't. You know what I mean? Like, the FF traditionalist would just be, like, kind of doubled over and breathing through a paper bag. But... Uh, I, because this is technically the cold open, I'm going to say something, and then we're going to go into the issue. Absolutely. So but sorry. <laughs> when, when Simonson comes on the book as artist, read the letters page, because people are in revolt. Yeah. That's People hilarious. get so upset at Simpsons art because it doesn't quote unquote look like the FF. Well, yeah, and I get the sense looking at the letters pages. I'm sure, of course, the letter pages are cherry picked to be have support for the current book. I think that seems like you know just a prudent course of action. But I was shocked by how many people are like, "This book is looking better than it's ever been," and in a lot of cases, they're like, you know, because of Joe Sinnott. And I'm like, yeah, there were you know. I think Byrne was really smart to move Senate out, you know, while he was working on it. But I totally get that there were a whole bunch of people who were like, yeah, it was okay, but it didn't really look like the FF, you know? And right? I kind of get that. Yeah. yeah. And, and seriously, Simonson comes on art and people are just like, nope. Yeah, right. Exactly. I don't care how the book reads. Nope. This <laughs> is not happening. We're not doing this. Completely. Completely. Hello, whatnots. Welcome to a truncated Baxter building, because Jeff and I have just spent like an hour and a half talking about Marvel, which is a bit of a problem, because this is, of course, the series where myself, Graham McMillan, and my lovely co-host, Jeff Lester, hello, talk about the first volume of Marvel's Fantastic Four comic. It's a, it's a short, quote-unquote, episode. We'll see how true that is. But we are going to go through 12 fucking comics. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go through uh, 314 through 324 plus annual 21. Yes. That's a lot of comics, you guys. So we're going to do it slightly differently. This is the theory. We'll see how this actually works out in reality. I'm uh, but I Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Graham. I'm fascinated to see you tackle this because I was looking at it thinking like, this isn't going to work at all. <laughs> 
but it, it kind of does. Like, it works in my brain. Mm-hmm. My theory was this. These 12 issues are kind of a series of short stories, by which I mean short multiple issue stories. Like 314 and 315, to my mind, are a story. 316 through 319 are a story. 320 and 321 are stories by themselves, and 322 through 324 is a story by itself. Do you see what I'm saying? I, I sort of do, but I sort of don't, because I, at the same time, what Englehart is doing is, and he, and he sort of toots his own horn about it, he's kind of like, we have issue 313, which we read last time, which is the mole man gets the shaft, uh, I guess, both li- literally and figuratively, and is, issue 314, they're kind of like, well, we should go back you know, we should go back and Ben Grimm's like, oh, but before you do, I was spending some time down here. It was awesome. I want to show you some of the sites. And they go down a tunnel that's partially covered. And as Englehart puts it, they literally stumble on the secret of the universe. So that secret runs for a bunch of issues. Yeah. It's, yeah. This is a wacky run of issues, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Like we thought last time was wacky and last time was like the dysfunctional wacky. And this time is... I, my thought through like 314 through 31920 mm-hmm. is really this is Engelhart as improviser. Like, this is all yes and for like the entire fucking Marvel Universe. Yeah, right. Exactly. There's one point is like, I'm going to explain the history of the Marvel Universe and why the Beyonder fits into that exactly. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, this is stunning. And I don't know if you have gone back to visit Engelhart's website as I did for reasons that oh, I'll get I thought to. I should have done that yeah but he mentions that the entire reason he does the Beyonder two-parter in three, uh, 18 three nineteen, mm-hmm. it's because Ralph Macchio hated the Beyonder mm-hmm. and so he was basically like alright a good Beyonder story then you won't hate him anymore <laughs> oh, it's God not nuts him. It, yeah it kind, it kind of is nuts but it also makes sense although you know I have to say there's something weird about Engelhart that I feel is somewhere between I'll show you Jim Shooter slash I will redeem you Jim Shooter, you know, that might be part of Englehart's weird MO. I'm not sure. There's a nuts Jim Shooter thing coming up in the annual, like uh, something that will blow your mind. And I'm not talking about the address plate later on, oh, which is yeah. I think in three. 17 or something yeah. but no there's a nuts thing in the annual related to Jim Shooter which blows my mind okay well we'll we'll have to get there so let's let's uh, let's uh, we've given the readers enough of the thematic pieces I think I really want to jump into the issues and talk about them and then dig into Engelhart's um, insanity uh, <laughs> but let let's yeah. 314 is the scenic route, exclamation point, or deep breath. The fabulous FF plays around a little and pays for it as Stanley presents the scenic route. Yeah. The plot of this issue, as Jeff mentioned just a second ago, the FF are still on Monster Island or are kind of under Monster Island, I guess, because they are, are in their the aftermath of their, would you say it's a confrontation with the mole man? <laughs> they were dealing with the mole man and he kind of disappeared. Yeah, the the mole man more or less gets snagged by a bunch of lava men. Um, Engelhart being Engelhart and working in the true Marvel tradition, uh, he drags in every, he alludes to every underground kingdom that is basically existing and suggesting that there is a, 
because of there being a, an absence in power after the mole man's disappearance in in the events of uh, FF 296 295 I always forget uh, that that essentially the moloids are being preyed upon by the lava men who may also have a hand from some other dudes I forget the mole man shows up gets snagged by the lava men uh, crystal goes after him to try and save him does not almost dies in the attempt and uh, to save her Johnny embraces her to to drag off all the excess heat that is killing her and realizes after the embrace is done that he still has feelings for her um, and I think this is important because one of the things that's interesting about the scenic route is that just as you have Sherry and Ms. Marvel whose um, dysfunctions have been sort of the emotional drive for the issues that been we've been reading up to now she is in the stat status of she's she likes who she is she likes her body and it's allowing her to be able to get emotionally close to ben so the, the i guess the emotional dysfunction engine pretty much shifts kind of heavily to Johnny and Crystal's relationship, which is really more, I think, in many ways, Johnny's relationship to himself and his yes. relationship with Crystal. Yes, because I, and this kind of pays off later with Crystal, but it's very much Johnny is having an ongoing conversation with himself, which is I am in love with my wife, but I might also be in love with Crystal. Yeah. But I can't be in love with Crystal because I'm in love with my wife. And that plays out across a number of issues. And when I say plays out, I really kind of mean repeats. Yeah. Uh, you know, Engelhardt has absolutely no problem literally just hitting repeat on this at every single opportunity. Yes, although I think it, what he does, and it's sort of a shortcut that I realize as a kid I fell for a lot when it was 70s Marvel, is is that it feels like a repeat. He's just trimming the statement each time so like you said well, here it's also like shifting I, the perspective slightly yeah he's kind of, it, it's it, i think so but i will I, the the shifting perspective i do want to talk about in a second but it is johnny inside his head is very much like oh my god i'm in love with my wife i think i might also be in love with crystal and then five issues later he's like i'm in love with two women at the same time yes it, that's what that's what i mean he, yeah. he really does johnny does go from crystal can't be here because i'm in love with my wife right to I I am attracted to Crystal, but I can't be attracted to Crystal because I'm married and I'm in love with my wife. Yeah. To I am in love with both of them. Yes. Yeah. So it's and it's so every time every time he does replay it, mm -hmm. it's 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 like Johnny is going further towards Crystal, yeah. and that comes to a head in a few issues time. Yeah. But it's it's funny reading them as you know on mass. I don't know how you read these, but I I was like I'm reading all fucking twelve of these at once. Yeah. Uh, and that's really good because you actually do see the the shift, mm -hmm. but it's also it does read as very repetitive, nonetheless. Well, it re it reads as repetitive, and it's also that classic thing of when you're a kid and chances are good you actually do miss an issue. Like you can you kind of have that feeling of like oh something happened between these two things that made Johnny really definitively make up his mind. And sometimes in comics that happens. That really does happen. And sometimes like here, what you get is the shorthanding, 
because there really aren't any more scenes apart from Johnny checking out Crystal's ass that makes him go, oh my God, I'm in love with this woman. You know what I mean? Like they don't have really any super tender, close moments in between. I think I'm in love with her to I'm in love with her. You know what I mean? Like, so wait, I just wait, think that which, is important. Which kind of plays out in the, uh, I want to say 317, mm-hmm. where Crystal essentially says, like, you ha- you're not talking to me. Yeah. You have been avoiding me. Right. This is a thing. Yeah. I And and really puts a, a, a hat on it, you know, really, really lampshades it. Yeah. Um, the plot very quickly of 314 yes. is that the group theoretically goes looking for the mole man. That is such a MacGuffin because it's not like the Mole Man is ever discovered. Because when they go into the caverns, they discover that the reason the Mole Man gets around so quickly is not that he is very fast in his feet, but that there are lots of teleportation portals yeah. uh, in the underground layers. As they are exploring these, Crystal disappears. And when they are looking for Crystal, they discover Crystal. Crystal is with Belasco. Mm-hmm. Belasco, as the cover says, from the pages of, X- of the X-Men, which I love because I don't... Did he ever actually appear in X-Men as opposed to, like, the Magic miniseries? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think he did because that's, that's kind of Claremont's thing. He pops up in Magic, as does Sim, and then both those characters do pop up. I want to oh, say... They, they yeah, like in in yeah. it, it, but I mean, not in a heavy way, yeah, but in that classic. Really think, oh, they're an X-Men. Like it's not yeah. Magneto. Anyway, Belasco is doing the traditional supervillain trope of this woman is beautiful, therefore she will be my bride. Yeah, uh, there is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful joke that uh, Engelhart allows the thing to have. Which is Belasco says, I will have this crystal as my mate. There will be no interference. The time is full past for Shanna and Eliana. Yeah. And it says, then your partner, our partner won't do you no good because her name isn't Christiana. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> yes. It's such a terrible joke that I absolutely adore. The Fantastic Four fights back. Crystal is unconscious because, of course, she is. The Fantastic Four fights back. And in fighting back, they beat Belasco by knocking him out and go on the run mm-hmm. only to find another portal that leads into the uh, the cat this, people. This, yes, the, the land yeah. of cat people who are in, uh, attached to Tiger's origin in Englehart's West Coast Avengers. Yes. Because again, Steve Englehart has not met two Marvel comics that he cannot think will go together and he can make a plot connection. They fight with the cat people only for Blasco to appear again and go, no, now I'm in charge of the cat people because of course I am. Then... That changes because an entirely separate plot from a Doctor Strange comic yes, like comes into play, distracts Belasco, and as they run away from that entirely unrelated plot, mm-hmm. they're teleported through another portal and run into Master Pandemonium, also from Englehart's West Coast Avengers. Yeah, yeah. That's 314, people. It's crazy. And it sets the pace for the rest of these issues. That you're like, wait, what comic am I actually reading again? Oh, you know what? Exactly. Because there is nothing. I I so admire the audacity of the opening page of 315. It kills that, me. That it is a five-page Mo- uh, Morbius sequence. Yes. Morbius, the living vampire. With no explanation. At Literally, it's oh. uh, the fabulous FF learn a long hidden secret of space. It suddenly presents no way out. And the first caption box is, my name is Michael Morbius. I was born a human being, but I thought I would die a vampire. Yeah. And then there is literally a five page sequence 
narrated by Michael Morbius. Yes. This then leads into uh, a Master Pandemonium sequence. Yes. That lasts for another five pages before you finally, 11 pages into the comic, yep. catch up with the cliffhanger of the previous issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's astounding. Yeah. Yeah. Engelhart is genuinely bold. I'm not even sure if it's good bold, but it's bold as shit to finally pick up in your cliffhanger of your previous issue 11 pages in because you've had two separate flashback sequences, neither of which include the stars of the book. You know, the thing that I think is fascinating also, and I, I want to give credit to both him and I think Ralph Macchio, is apart from the very smart uh, floating heads of the FF on the cover page to let you know that there was not some sort of weirdo mistake um, normally I feel like in the past when this sort of thing happens there's there's such bolts. yeah there's such the confused readers so were we but don't worry keep reading it it all becomes clear you know yeah, like that you classic up an issue of yeah. adventure into fear by mistake I, well see and that's the thing that's amazing I really have to give them credit that at no point because I was like okay I'm looking for the box that says what issue of fucking Morbius's title this happened in and it I don't think it happens until next issue no. or two issues later where like there's even then I'm pretty sure that what they're showing is stuff that wasn't in that Morbius issue. I'm I think that he's I literally laying back like backstory that went before what we actually saw. I, I, that would make sense. That would totally make sense. But yeah, there's it's it is bold, and I also think that it's it's um it's one of those things that I love about Engelhart is is he's so. Like I, he really just he 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 is uh, he's Mister Unconditional Love. You know what I mean? Like I think any other individual would be like, you can't have seven pages of Morbius the Living Vampire for fantastic in a Fantastic Four comic. The first seven pages because no one picks up a Fantastic Four comic for Morbius the Living Vampire. Nobody picked up Morbius the Living Vampire's comic for Morbius the Living Vampire. Why would they pick up someone else's comic for him? But instead, right. he's like, "Nope, Morbius is great," and it's and and, just, and, and I'm going to use him as the counterpart. Like you, we will definitely enter this again. This issue when fucking Comet Man shows up, right? But. So, okay, so the rest of this issue is the FF have a fight with uh, Master Pandemonium before Master Pandemonium reveals basically he's in the same boat as they are. They are all stuck and they, they don't know how to get back to Earth. So they decide they're kind of going to work together, maybe. And as the Human Torch flies out around to try and find something to help them, first of all, find out where they are, but also how they can get back, mm -hmm. they're interrupted by the arrival of Comet Man. Yeah. And Max, Comet Man's alien comet sidekick. Yeah. Luckily, because Max is essentially omnipotent, judging by these stories, right. uh, he just teleports them back to Earth, like by the end of the issue. And that's that's the end of the issue. He literally kicks a stone and suddenly transports them to Earth in the middle of a snowstorm. And it's weird. Let's put it this way. That is... It's everything about this is weird yeah. 
One thing I genuinely love about 314, 315, and actually many of these issues, is that the thing knows all these characters. Right. <laughs> and keeps being like, oh yeah, I met them with the West Coast Avengers. Oh, I met, you know, I met Combat Man before. And I love that because I love Marvel yes. 2 and 1. Yeah. Well, and like the idea that like Ben really is the heart of the Marvel Universe, I'm a sucker for that shit. Well, see, that's it. I know that that is something that you you adore and i found myself thinking about it when it was going on i'm like oh god graham has got to be loving this yeah I, I i was in seventh heaven every single time that ben was not surprised by something and then was like oh i know that guy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you know like that, that i i love it I, I genuinely love it and actually to speak more broadly about all of these issues these issues all have a or at least especially like from here through like 319 all have a, an air of we're doing something new, but that's what we're supposed to do because we're the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. That I really appreciate. Yeah. No, I I do too, and I think that is the thing. I mean, I think Graham, maybe one of us is misreading it, but it very much, as I recall, they're not looking for the mole man. It's like the thing is like, let me show you this tunnel. Then they bump into the warps. Then they warp all the way over to Arcturus Four. Comet Man's sidekick kicks them back to Earth. And I do love the fact that more or less how it opens is Master Master Pandemonium being like, ah, fuck you guys, I'm off on my own thing. And meanwhile, the thing basically in Antarctica drags together all the characters that have been name dropped in the previous two issues or issue and drags them all together for a summit to figure out because there's a little bit of the read uh, uh, read is gone but ben like you said the ff are supposed to do something new and ben is also about this idea of like we made a discovery we have to figure out what the discovery means because again this is what the ff does yeah there, there's something really enjoyable about that that's yeah. that, that's 316 let's not jump ahead too quickly 315 is impressively um you know when i said that engelhart is playing the the improviser yeah the yes it's hand. impressively mm-hmm. just like it, it, but it's impressively just like here is shit from like three completely disparate comics yeah and the ff are guest stars in their own comic yeah. in this one mm-hmm. like they, they are bystanders they they do nothing in their own comic everything happens through a guest star and I kind of love it, but I can also imagine if I was reading FF, if I was a big FF fan and I was reading this on a monthly basis, that this issue would have just been like, what am I actually reading right now? Well, honestly, I feel like the issue is is propelled by two, like the, you've got Comet Man and Max show up, but it's really Master Pandemonium who's the guy who's like, hey, let's cut a deal and work together. You know, driven by the flashback of Michael Morbius, who literally appears as a flashback and does not appear in the rest of the issue. Yeah, exactly. So it's um, so it's it's an amazingly off kilter read because it's um, it's nuts for that reason. Yeah, it really is. It it breaks so many rules and probably John Byrne's heart, but at, but it is but it's it's the initial zest of like this is not what you finally feel like you're reading an ff comic that is trying to be faithful to the spirit of the kirby issues by 
by doing something different and unexpected and not kind yes. of being like, you know, oh, well, everyone loves a good Galactus story. And it, I and was going to say, I, yeah. I think that's really, really, I felt that a lot through like this run through 319. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does feel true to the spirit of Lee and Kirby's FF yeah. in a way that the book hasn't since Lee and Kirby like quit. Um, because it is new. There are lots of funny slash terrible things. There is a bit in 315 where Crystal is bending over to talk to an alien. And Johnny literally is showing staring at her ass. Yeah. I'm thinking, God, that costume really fits her. Uh, Holy shit. That, which is amazing. Actually, what I love is the next thing where he's like, Leisha, honey, I need to get back to you. And I love that even more. Like, both of those are just such holy shit moments. But I do love that idea of him being like, I got to get home. Because he's actually and... pulling his collar out as well. He is. is such a... yeah. I, I mean, Keith Pollard's art is, it does the job, I guess. Like, I wouldn't say any of the art in these issues is particularly amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the bigger things for me is when Sinnott leaves the book. Yeah. Pollard's art really does look significantly different, I think. Yeah, I think you so. realize how much it's in, is, is really bringing. But, and this will, this is, ha- this image has to go in the show notes. Um, Johnny pulling his collar because yes. he's staring at uh, Crystal's butt is astounding. You know, but there's, it is astounding and it's comical and it's terrible, but I really have to give it up for uh, Pollard because. It's drawn in a way. It's drawn in a way that is not titillating to the reader. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, no exactly. And that it's, it's actually done surprisingly well because the focus is almost entirely on Johnny. Right. And I think, and I think that in theory, you could arguably say there, there kind of is no way to kind of work in someone's ass and Johnny's reaction in in, in the same way. But honestly, I think a majority of comic artists would have been like i'm gonna draw the ass and then we oh, yeah. have the yeah. thought panel you know so yeah. many other staging would be we're looking over johnny's shoulder yeah exactly and you know? and so father to basically be like no we're looking over crystal's ass at johnny yeah exactly and so the moment is clear and is kind of like oh my god i can't believe you went there and yet it's also the weird part is, it's again, it's that thing of Engelhart's doing it to focus on the character. He's not yes, doing it to titillate. It's not as gratuitous as it could be. Right, which is which is kind of stunning, considering where it's going. Like it's it's exactly considering the moment is literally Johnny staring at Crystal's ass and talking about how good that costume fits yeah, her. Exactly. It's kind of amazing that it's like, and we're going to try and do it in a way that does not objectify Crystal, like Johnny is doing. Right. Right. Exactly, exactly. Whereas in a, just a few short years, a bunch of artists who will then go on to form Image will take a scene like that and just make us all oh, pay. Basically, in a few short years, Paul Ryan will try and make, uh, will try and objectify Sue on a regular basis. Oh God, I didn't need to know that. Oh, oh boy. So. Uh, so do we, should we, cause we got to keep hustling. Do we want to jump into 316 or do you have more to say about 315? No, no, let, let's jump in 316. I, I, I don't know about you, Jeff, but when I got through 314, 315, 315 was so weird that I was like, I literally don't like, I know where this book is going because I actually remember picking up 319 when it was released. Uh-huh. Um, but also I don't know 
how he's going to get there. Right. And one of the beautiful things about 316, cold storage, or the fabulous FF Odyssey leads them to the one thing they fear the most is suddenly presents cold storage. One of the great things about the opening of that is it looks like it's going to be a Master Pandemonium story in the splash page because yes. the splash is Master Pandemonium flying towards uh, the army helicopter that's carrying Alicia. Right. But he just flies past, which I love. Yeah. It's such a great fake out. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great fake out, but you know what? I also have to say, I'm starting to think that the, it's also the second issue in a row that opens up with someone other than the FF, you know, which is kind of, and it's kind of weird again in that sort of weird fake out way. But I think I do wonder if the way that Engelhart is trying to signal like, Hey, this story is, is I've got something, I've got a tale that I want to tell that's bigger than the FF, you know? Exactly. Exactly. That is bigger than the FF. And this issue is amazing for that. The, plot synopsis is Alicia is brought to where the FF all ended up when they were returned to Earth by Max, the previous issue, which turns out to be the site of the former Savage Land, Mm -hmm. which in then current Marvel continuity is no longer the Savage Land because Terminus in the Avengers Mm -hmm. uh, the year before has basically turned the Savage Land off. Yeah. And so it is now an Arctic wasteland like everything around it. Alicia's brought there basically because Johnny is feeling horny and can't look at Crystal's butt any longer. And so he wants some time with his his, his new honey. Yep. But, and also, like, the fact that she's there it literally makes no sense for the rest of the plot because almost immediately Johnny's like, yeah, it's going to be really dangerous because we've come across this thing and we think that people are going to attack us. That's why I flew you out here. <laughs> Johnny, worst husband ever. He's not wrong, though, because sure enough, the army base where they are all hanging out with Kazar and Shanna, it should be pointed out. And they healed up Michael Morbius, too. Oh, Anna, that's true. And they healed up Michael Morbius uh, is attacked by lots of ice people. Mm-hmm. That The big fight sequence is the FF defending the base. or The FF minus Ben mm-hmm. defending the base from the ice people. Yeah. The reason Ben isn't around is that Ben is talking to, it turns out, uh, the scientists of AIM mm-hmm. because it, it's their base. Uh, as well as Kazar, Shanna, Michael Morbius, uh, Common Man, and Max. And as he explains across like the second half of the issue, essentially, yeah. he's worked out the nature of reality and how it deals with the savage lands. <laughs> and that is the second half of the issue, which is amazing. There is lots of Marvel continuity that is basically the origins of the savage lands, the origins of Atlantis, and the origins of the Eternals, Yeah, all tying them into the origins of Comet Man, that ends up with them going, we're all actually... The Savage Land is entirely artificial. It was created by aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was stored by other aliens. And mm-hmm. uh, we are going to find what is underneath. We're going to cut it open. And as they do cut it open, as the splash page promises in the greatest thing ever, warning in this incredible issue, you'll find the one word you'll never thought you'd see in a Marvel comic again. They open up the base underneath the Savage Land. And what do they find... They find a giant sign that says Beyonder. Yeah. Which leads Ben to finish the issue by going, no, not again. <laughs> Everything about this is wonderful. <laughs> and I, I mean that sincerely. Everything about this issue is incredible. The fight sequence is 
kind of rotes, but at the same time, hey, you've got to have a fight sequence. Sure. You know what? Because you then yeah. second half of the issue to here is Steve Englehart tying the mythology of four different comics together. Yeah. In a way that, don't get me wrong, is nuts as hell. Yeah. But also hangs together. And then it's all lead up to reveal the fucking Beyonder. Yeah. 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 Stone. Yep. I think that's astounding. I have to say, though, and this is just me being a fuddy-duddy, as this goes on and as uh, Englehart builds and builds and builds, um, it is the first time that I feel that it really falls flat for me. Uh, what falls, falls flat for you? The title? No. The, the, the mythology that he's tying together? The mythology. It's not... I mean, part of it is kind of... I don't know who Comet Man is, but... Does anyone... It was five issues in the 80s. We'll see, and that's it. And I think that's the, the other thing is is that it's... It's it's a it's a it's a drastically dull character. I just there everything about Comet Man seems like a crashing bore, which is okay, fine, fair enough. But I tell you the other thing that I realized is um, Englehart, who has done such an amazing job tying together enormous chunks of Marvel continuity uh, in the past, also ties it to another character a specific character's quest usually for their own um of their own self-realization and to me it's really one of the first times Englehart does it in a way that's super memorable is the vision trying to discover his true origin and it's literally being paralleled with the history of the blue area on the moon and the Cree and the scroll yeah, and yeah. the plant creatures. And it's a ton of shit, but that gets thrown together. But what to me really resonates is it's tied to a character's own story of, of self-discovery, I guess. Well, yeah, there, there's an emotional core and there isn't, yeah. that's the thing about this tying together of like four different mythologies. Yeah. There isn't an emotional core. There really is uh, not. And, and, you know, it's really interesting you're saying that because I really appreciate just how bonkers this gets. Mm-hmm. Like, it, re- it really is the idea that, like, Englehart has literally picked four things at random and been like, I can I can make this work because without the emotional call, it lacks the um, the impetus yeah. or, the, or the, the interest, the human interest. Right. There's be, keep reading like you know you you get to you know it's the origin of Comet Man right. and then Comet Man's people are aliens and when they're aliens and by the way also Kazar's people they're not aliens but the aliens came down to us but they're different aliens yeah. and you know it got to and underneath the Savage Land is a really strong radiator and I remember the first time just being like what yeah no I'm gonna put this down and come back to it right because because part of me is like oh it's kind of it it reminded me more less of Englehart and there's a there's that issue of is it is it the defenders maybe it's two issues where um Vance Astro from Guardians of the Galaxy explains to the defenders essentially the history of future Earth and more or less ties together all of Marvel's various like 
um, future stories, which it had a ton of at that point, all into one yeah. timeline. So you had Kill Raven and Deathlock and the Guardians and a bunch of other stuff all jammed in there. It was a fun read at the time because, as a you know, again, part of it was, oh, I'm really young and it's great seeing all this stuff get sewn together. But there's no, it's it's literally Vance Astro in an armchair telling these guys that, and this is much closer to that. It's literally the thing being like, here's what we were all able to hammer together. And Engelhart's on the one hand is like, hey, this is just my opening act. You know, the be- the fact that I've got the Beyonder there shows you that I've got even more up my sleeve. Is, exactly. I've got a lot here. To just you wait. Yeah. Is is kind of like, oh, that would be great if I cared. You know what I mean? Well, and but, but what's interesting is yeah. by the time he finishes the cycle, mm-hmm. I think he does discover the emotional core. Do you not think so? Uh... Like, I, I think I think by the time he gets to 19, there's the for me there's the emotional path of spoiler everyone the molecule man and of doctor doom yeah that that the work in the the function that you're talking about is missing here and you're right is missing here mm-hmm. right which is my thing of remember when i said that like a couple you know like a baxter building or two ago i was like part of me really wishes that doctor doom had ended up as the fourth member of the fantastic four um yeah. There's a way in which I see, like, I really actually really do enjoy the stuff with uh, with Ms. Marvel and Ben a lot more at this stage of things, of course. But but there is part of me that's kind of like, ah, but if Dr. Doom had sort of manipulated us all into getting to this point and it was his quest that was driving things. And even though it was stuff that he didn't quite know, but he felt like he might've known. Cause of course that ends up later being like a big chunk of his motivation. I think, I think I just feel like some of that might've worked a little bit better for me. And I, you know, maybe that's, that's one of the strange me. things about how we get to where we eventually get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is act one of the story that will, that will end in three nineteen. Yeah. And like I guess technically it's act two because we've we had the underground tunnels and then they ended up in the alien planet yada yada yada. Right. But by this point, everything has been accidental. Mm-hmm. Literally, the FF found the other planet by accident. Right. They found Master Pandemonium by accident. Mm-hmm. They found the Common Man by accident, and they work all this stuff out in this issue. Right. And it's it, I I really enjoy that they work all this stuff out and Engelhart ties all these things together, but. As you said, there's no emotional core, and also the heroes aren't driving anything. Well, this actually, I think you know, that's the first by, part by, where they like, kind when, of are, but in a very low, in a in a very well, low stakes kind of way. You know, the heroes are sort of driving it in a what's going on, which isn't the same thing as in three eighteen when Doctor Doom gets involved. He drives it. Oh, very much. His so. desire drives it. And the story becomes much more interesting. Exactly. I mean, one of the strangest things about 314 through 3, actually through Annual 21, mm-hmm. is everything happens to the FF. Yes. And they're always reactive. And they're yes. always, what's happening now? Okay, we've got to work our way through this. And sure, they're still reactive when Doctor Doom comes along. But because Doctor Doom is essentially a protagonist of the book at that point. Yes. Feel like the story is actually happening to someone. Exactly. I mean, you know, it says something about how reactive the the FF 
kind of are through these issues that the fact that we have 316 where it's like hooray ben's gonna throw a symposium is kind of is a relief it's like it's what happened yeah we're both we're like oh thank god he's actually they are actively acting like i said it's it's such a lower stakes but at least it has that thing that that we're happy about you see us actually cheering like they're like yay they're saying that this is what it means to be the the fantastic four and yes this is part of their idea that they're going they've got to be explorers and it has to be seen something new like that's all really that's that's good strong stuff one of the things i do have to give uh um Engelhart props for is i think that he really gets a strong uh, his classic Marvel sense, I suppose, is is that although the, his characters might have quote unquote feet of clay in that they have desires and passions that we can acknowledge and recognize, they also are very, are committed to being heroic. Like they handle the they handle their foibles heroically, which is kind of which is a good thing, and also seems kind of a crazy traditionalist you know sort of approach to it you know so yeah um so you're right but but it is when doom gets involved the book shifts into another gear and it 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 needs it it really does need it because everything else is enjoyable it keeps me turning pages i was like huh 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 but like the holy shit only comes from a formalist like look at the balls on this guy not like a oh this totally makes me see a character in a different way and again part of me is like maybe that's just because i don't know comet man well enough to have it be seen in a whole new light but part of me is just like you know it, the fact that they have to be like and that's when the four disquilians came through i'm like the four disquilians who the fuck that person should have been flogged alive for naming them that, you know? So yeah, here's okay. Before we move on to three seventeen, I have to ask, was it just me that got like weirdly into Comet Man in these issues? Comet uh, Man seems so fucking weird. I was like, what is even going on here? You know what? It seemed it seemed weird, but it seemed dull. Like Comet Man's design is dull. Max, who frankly I enjoyed more when he was called the Impossible Man, is dull. And and the only thing that's interesting to me is the fact that Comet Man's whole th sort of thing is the idea of him being like, yeah, I want to be so super goddamn good at superheroing that when I go back and kill my brother to make him pay for stealing my life from me. Like part of me is like, it's, it's it, to me, it's really weird. It's kind of like if Deathlock, the demolisher had been invented at silver age DC, you know what I mean? And kind of drawn and designed by, um, uh, the, the guy who drew for the silver age doom patrol. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of, a. It's just this weird nothing Berg, this guy who basically looks like, he looks like Captain Comet. That's who he looks like. He looks like a purple version of Captain Comet that they give the weirdest, darkest origin to. And frankly, because the sidekick is the guy who knows everything, like, Comet Man is 
crazily superfluous. You know what I mean? So I I had the well, opposite it, reaction, Graham, where I was. No, like, I, I I honestly was like I, not even like I love this character as much as I just I can't quite believe this is a real thing. I can't, I can't believe this is a real thing. I can't believe this is this drives the story for three issues, mm-hmm. and also is then utterly abandoned. Yeah. Well. Utterly abandoned. Oh, well, remember Dr. DeVere? Like the bald guy at Project Pegasus who's like, <laughs> ah, they went down the hole. I'm going to rub my he's taint on it. Issue. What's that? Like, not even, he's, yeah. not, he's there for like half of an issue. Common Man is here for three issues, and you even get the Alicia meets the brother. Yes. And goes, there's something weird about him, which is a classic subplot, and it goes nowhere. But but to be fair, we've already had an issue where, like, a flame-covered Doctor Strange throws the Earth as a yeah, weapon against yeah. Shuma Gorath. So part which of is these, also absolutely nuts. Which is the, a the, fucking amazing like, scene. Yeah. How do we... Like, we've introduced Belasco as the threat. How do we deal with Belasco? Belasco literally gets distracted at a plot from a Doctor Strange book. Well, but I do love how much um, Englehart is kind of... It's like he's got his own version of, you know, Brian Eno's deck of cards, you know, with the random suggestions. (laughs) And he just draws it. I'm like, oh... Doctor Strange interrupts because I love the West Coast Avengers thing where they totally weave in Rama Tut with the Doctor Strange story yeah. that Englehart had woven in over the first Rama Tut story. And there's there, I think there's other there's been other things where it's like Doctor Strange is has also interrupted other Englehart stories in in a way that's always kind of like, wow, like that's kind again. It's a card in his little deck of possibilities. Um, so so in a way, also, this is this thing of, because they talk about the death of Savage Land, I remember where, again, Avengers under Stern with Burn had that weird, like, one character leaves from there, shows up in the next book. You see Englehart kind of doing that with the thing in between West Coast Avengers and... Was it the FF? I don't even remember. But you know, yeah, no, he he literally leaves West Coast. He get right. he goes from the Thing series to West Coast Avengers, and then shows up in the FF a few months later. Right. So there's just kind of Marvel is really working what it thinks is its Marvel juju, which is the idea that this is all a shared universe, and taking that whole like feeling of seeing Thor fly by in the back of a panel back in the old Lee Kirby days to the next level and having it be like, you know, again, just weird shit. Like I literally thought like, okay, comment man is going to end up like that scene is going to go into what other comic Ralph Macchio is editing. You know, actually, I feel like we should look and see if comment man actually ever appeared again. (laughs) That would be fabulous. I'm kind well, of part shocked. Of me just, part of me just thinks that he didn't. He probably did. Let's see. Uh, oh, no. There you go. He subsequently appeared in Marvel Comics Presents for four issues in 1990. Oh, okay. So and then an issue of Captain Marvel in 2000. Uh, a 2000? Yeah. Jesus, who the fuck was writing it in 2000? Uh, Peter David. Oh, okay. Oh, right. 
Of course, I was reading that stuff. Peter David, Peter the You Decide Peter issues. David. Yeah, right? Uh, but Peter David is friends with Bill Moomy, who created Captain Con- uh, Con- uh, Oh, Bill Moomy created it. Interesting. Well, maybe Englehart was a, was a buddy of him as well. It's, it's fascinating to me that it was kind of... I'm shocked that Warren Ellis didn't bring him back for, like, you know, the right? creepy take. Like, Comet Man, Skin Eater. You know, because it really... The whole thing or, with his, like... Or bring like, him back to make fun of him in, in New... Uh, not New Universal. Uh, next Wave. Next Wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but that's the thing. Like, I would, except I see Ellis kind of being like, oh, here's a guy with cosmic powers who wants to kill his brother, and his brother is, like, this high-placed, uh, you know, government official who's actually the Antichrist. Like, I'm kind of into it. Like, I'm, like, Warren, like Warren Ellis would totally, like, I can squeeze four issues out of that. You know, I was going to be really mean and be so. like, but he'll only write two of them. <laughs> I was going to say, but it'll take three and a half years. So I guess we were going in like different mean we're, directions. We're, we're, we're this, but we're on the same page. <laughs> three seventeen. It's called the uh, last kiss. Not even the last kiss. Just last kiss. Or the fabulous FF have learned about legends. Now they learn about love. As suddenly presents last kiss. This is after bringing in Beyonder. Yeah, uh, Alicia. I do love that Alicia has two very particular weird roles in this issue. First of all, as she says goodbye to Johnny, she are we going to say strikes a sexy pose? Like, what do you even describe what she's doing when she says, hey, sailor, you should. Yeah. She's... Like, what? what is that? Again, I think it's this just amazing shit where Keith uh, Pollard is like... Um... Because is it Pollard? Yeah, because Romeo Tengal is the guest yeah. guest finisher. Where Pollard is like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna show these characters being sexual, but I'm not even now when I have the emphasis to really put it on Alicia as sex object, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I thought that that again, it's just this weird kind of because it plays at a different level. I mean, I have to say, and this. I, I didn't want to say this because I feel like people are going to be like, oh, I know what's up with Jeff Lester's marriage. But I do like the fact that I believe Johnny and Alicia are more like I more believe in the idea that they are married and are actually a married couple in the way that a Johnny ogles some other woman's butt and is like, I got to get home and have sex with my wife, you know, because it's just like, I don't want to go here. I don't want to be in this place. I got to shut this down. You know, I was like, oh, that's kind of as a dude who got married and in the first year was kind of like, oh, right. I can't look at women any. I got to stop doing this kind of thing, you know. And I also like the idea that basically the the idea that Alicia's like, hey, sailor, come back to these. And it's and she knows that she's dressed in like boots and heavy clothes and like six sweaters because it's Antarctica. And therefore she's being ironically sexy, like. I don't think that that's how Englehart writes the scene, but thanks to the way of Pollard's staging, it kind of comes off that way and is, again, is kind of, um, it's fun rather than icky, and it really could have been. That's so that's so icky. interesting. It it reads terribly ickily to me. Yeah, yeah. It I, really does. It reads as it reads as not just icky isn't the right word. It reads as very out of character. Right. And as re- 
seductive to both Alicia and Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, honestly, and this this is terrible, it reads as, like, dumb. Yeah. Because, uh, I don't know. I think because that I think Pollard is trying to play it as comedy, but also isn't. Like, there's, there's something about... I'm not sure he is playing it for comedy, but... There is something hilarious about that panel yeah. because she is wearing the sweater and she's got the big coats. Yeah. But the comedy for me also really comes from Johnny's face in that panel. Yes. Right. Which is is goofy as shit. Yeah. Um. But it it's it it the intent comes across as as um not even icky, just tonally off for the rest of the book. It's to- it's and, and an attempt to be look they're being sexually playful with each other that just doesn't seem real to me at all. Well, because I think for me there's a little bit of the um, because it because it sort of to me also feels like the that it's coming f- if you if you take it at at face value it feels really like Alicia comes off as really insecure. You know what I mean? Like it really, it it plays like someone who's like, I know you're running around with your ex-girlfriend in space and maybe you're getting flaming boners, but remember, you know, and it's, 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 it's weird. I mean, to say nothing of the fact that we are so far out of the realm of how Alicia Masters has been portrayed for the yes, first that, 250 that's... issues of the book, at least. Right? Yeah, completely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, um, no, no, no. Hey, Flaming, Flaming Boners, of course, we should all remember, was the name of Mark Miller's Trouble follow-up, <laughs> uh, which is all about uh, the storms. But sadly, <laughs> it never happened. Uh, but one day, we can only hope. See, uh, flaming, flaming Boners, Invisible... Uh, never mind. Anyway, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> let, yeah, let's, let's not go any further. Anyway... Uh, the other thing that Leisha does in the opening of the book is that she reminds Ben as he freaks out about the Beyonder, which I love. That he's just like, the fucking Beyonder! Yeah. Uh, she reminds him, oh, we met other Beyonders. They were called the Beyonders uh, in Marvel 2 and 1. And Ben's just like, fucking great, I love you. Oh, wait, shit, no. Um, right. Because he says, When I yeah. say I love you, I really mean. You know, I, and I, I kind of love that. I love that Alicia... Um, I love that Alicia really, and this happens earlier as well when she meets him for the first time after his, his mutation. She seems much more cool with Ben mm-hmm. than Ben seems around her. Yeah, and I really like that. I really appreciate that Alicia has moved on and is fine with moving on in a way that Johnny and Ben just aren't. Well, you I, know, yes, you get all the angst of of. Ben being like, I still love her, fuck. And you got all the angst of Johnny being like, oh, but I love her, but also. Right. And Alicia's just like, no, I used to go with him. Now I'm married to him. Yeah. Like, that's that's the way it is. Well, which I think is. You know, yeah. We'll ultimately, she's actually a scroll, but still. Oh, my God. Like, you keep saying that. And I'm just, part of me is that classic, like, I, don't, I honestly don't know how I feel about it. At this point, you know what I mean? But we'll, we can talk <laughs> yeah, about it when we get there. Because Engelhardt's writing it as the real Alicia. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting things about it being the real Alicia. Well, you know? yeah, right. 
Well, because it is. It's kind of a, it's the fact that he's doing a yes and. And the idea that Alicia is going to later be revealed to be a scroll is an enormous it's the no but. Of the yeah. yeah, no yeah. but. You know, so yeah, it's just, um, it's, it is. It's, and, and when it comes down to it, yes, yes, and is the, is what the FF should feel like. I think yes. The FF should always be additive and, and, uh, exploring new things. I know, but it's the antithesis of what an FF comic should be. I, I think I'm going to just go larger and just say that a superhero, you know, shared universe comic should, any a comic yeah. book continuity no, 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 should you're, always you're, you're be yes right. and. Yeah. yeah. So, but yes. I agree, particularly with with the FF. But just, but just generally, you know, it's like yes and Peter and Mary Jane are married instead of the no, but Mephisto. You know, it's just it's... yeah, yeah. Anytime you do a major retcon like that, mm-hmm. or, or hey, it's not really Alicia, it's a scroll, or Clark and Lois were married, but then time reverted. Yeah. Um, is 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 reductive. Like it finds new ways to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do new things. Uh, anyway, they they uh, they all say goodbye to uh, Alicia and Comet Man and Max and the FF go to uh, outer space again. Yeah. Or, and just miss uh, Comet Man's brother who sure shows up and is like, I'm going to arrest him. And Alicia's like, oh, he sounds a bit scary. While in space, en route to the aliens who built the Savage Land in the first place, because that's why they're in space, we get two interludes. Ben and Jerry finally hook up, and Johnny and Crystal have not even a heart-to-heart. The heart-to-heart actually comes later. They have a, they exchange a glance, which makes it clear that both of them knows that something is going on, and also something is not going on between yeah. the two of them right they all come face to face with the aliens who built these ash land who basically are, are like oh, fuck it we were shorted by the beyonders who told us to do it so we'll tell you it's the beyonders look they also gave us these other things that are that are really important so maybe you want to look at those as crystal walks out hilariously being like i fucking hate technical things i'm, I'm going for a walk and johnny follows her then they have the heart to heart, which Johnny is basically says, "I think you're beautiful, but I'm married, so nothing's going to happen." Mm-hmm. Which Crystal is interestingly ambivalent about. Mm-hmm. I, I I kind of I'm fascinated by that. She is so excited when Johnny says, "You're still the most beautiful woman I've ever known." Yeah, like she seems to be like completely ready to be like, "Okay, so yeah. dump the blood check," mm-hmm. uh, and so for Johnny to say. No, mm-hmm. like I've literally just gotten married. Yeah. Nothing can happen. Uh, as the aliens who built the savage land attack the FF, because it turns out they have been paid off by AIM, which I, I there's so much about that that I love. Not least of which, how are AIM going to pay them? Yeah, yeah. This human stowed away on the spaceship it's like I'll pay you you take dollars right you take credit <laughs> the alien are like sure let's attack everyone else because we'll work something out in the back end yeah um, there, there, there's a big fight and it doesn't go well for the aliens or for the aim person and ends with Crystal threatening the aim person going we're going to go into the negative zone to find the beyonders despite all aims efforts run the last lap at last 
spoilers, no you're not, because we're about to have an annual, which is totally a diversion from everything. Well, it's a diversion for everything, and also um, Boots uh, Crystal, Crystal from the book. book. Yeah, which is just like, yeah. what? Yeah. Amazingly. Yeah. Yeah, 317 is a really, it's funny because Englehart, who writes the annual, obviously knew that Crystal's about to leave the book, which is why everything comes to a head. But everything comes to a head in any race, Crystal out of the book. And so everything coming to a head is kind of meaningless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they have their they have their emotional moment, which would seem to set up more drama. It would seem to move their their lack of relationship forward. Yeah, because they have both confessed that they have feelings for each other, but it doesn't go. It literally doesn't go anywhere because Crystal leaves the book in the very next issue. You're right, right. Well, and for that matter, I gotta say, I know I'm old and slow, Grant, but why the fuck is it called Last Kiss? You know what I mean? Like, is it just a flat-out, like, Engelhardt trolling it, us? Okay, so it really yeah, is it, just Yeah, it's, a... it's totally Engelhardt trolling us because Johnny and Crystal don't kiss. Right, exactly. Ben and Sherry kiss, but it's a first kiss. Right. Yeah. And, uh, who even knows? Also leaving the book with this issue, Common Man and Max. Yes. That's the last you'll see of them. Yeah. There's been three issues of them that even introduce, in this issue, the subplot of the uh, brother who has ruined Common Man's life has said they're literally gone with no explanation. <laughs> That's it. Because, spoilers, when the annual opens, everyone's back on Earth and Common Man and Max are gone. Yeah. There are so many confusing decisions in these issues. And, but that might be the best. The jump between 317, annual 22, and then annual 22 and 318. Yeah. Is amazing. Yeah. Because I honestly, in both cases, was like, I think I've missed an issue. Uh, well, again, I had that feeling so frequently throughout this book where I'm like, what What did I miss? Like, just like, huh? Morbius? Like, but yeah, the, the scene, the opening of, of Annual, and I, we should say it's 21, not 22, is... Oh, you're totally right. Yeah. I mean, it's just minor in case people are trying to follow at home, is... So, but honestly, without revealing anything, because we still got to get to it, the opening of three eighteen was. I was like, "What?" It, it's so funny because Engelhart is is his ambition is is great at this point. Like he really is like, "Okay, you guys, I'm fucking, you know, explaining the Savage Land. I'm tying it in with the Beyonder. I'm tying it in with Marvel Two One. I'm tying it in with Comet Man. I'm tying, you know." But he's. He's genuinely skipping connective tissue. Yeah, doing but I th- I think quite and, deliberately. And the result is weird. Yeah, no, I, I definitely deliberately. Yeah, so because I mean... uh, you know, annual twenty one, the the backup story in there, exp- like said, it is connective tissue that otherwise he could have avoided, mm-hmm. but he purposefully puts it in there. So he's he's he knows what he's doing. Yeah, but it's so weird as a reader going through this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think he decided that because because he doesn't want to he knows he has to open his stories with a hook, right? And a lot of people have the hook is like an action sequence. And you know, with the Morbius stuff he kind of has that, but usually the hook is like, wait, how the fuck did we get here? And he very again in that same sort of like confused readers keep Keep flipping through, true believers. Like that's deliberately removed. 
is deliberately removed. I wish that we yeah. weren't speeding through so that because I forgot that I was going to joke about how um, Ms. Marvel literally goes in one issue that it like issue 313 she's wearing like the FF the four logo on her chest and the next issue she's like the world's weirdest looking McDonald's but just looking at this issue again the issue where they walk back into the Baxter building they're like hey we're back I'm like oh right she's got the golden arches on her boobs and it's very strange so um, the annual we, I guess we should cover it very quickly I... Well, the annual is uh, the annual is a really weird annual. Engelhart writes because he writes both of the annuals during his tenure. Yeah. Uh, Kieran Dwyer pencils, or sorry, provides breakdowns, and Joe Sinnott provides it, it yeah. finishes. But as you said, like it opens with them being like, "We're back on Earth. Mm-hmm. Hey, we've made it back." Which is the which doesn't. It seems like the weirdest opening after where we've literally just left them in space. Yeah. And, and also to have them arrive back on Earth, make a point of saying we're back on Earth and not explain, like, what happened to the aliens or AIM or mm-hmm. or any of that stuff. Yeah. Even though Ben spends a page summarizing all of that three three pages into the issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 so strange. The, the plot of the main storyline is essentially that... Quicksilver has, due to events in, once again, West Coast Avengers, yeah. seemingly come to his senses and has asked the Inhumans to bring Crystal back so they can try again as a, as a couple. Crystal at first refuses as the FF and the Inhumans fight about this because it's a Marvel comic. The Inhumans city of Atlan on the blue area of the moon is being invaded by the High Evolutionaries army because this is a tie into the uh, evolutionary war storyline that's going through all the annuals at the time yeah the ff and the inhumans eventually find this out they go and help the inhumans the high evolutionary eventually fucks off in the middle of this there's the watcher watching and the thing gets really upset with them and then another watcher shows up uh, and says no we're, we're definitely just watching but we're not watching any closer anymore we're watching from a greater distance and crystal decides after a last minute uh plea from uh black bolt that she is in fact going to stay with the inhumans this leads into beyond the wonderful pinup section holy shit the which pin-up section. includes includes the sharon ventura page which is just astounding ah uh, astounding Sharon Ventura as uh, Ms. Marvel. First of all, showing that even though she is now a thing, she still has breasts, which for some reason I feel that we've always avoided up until now. But she, we see her posing and arching her back, uh, back to show off breasts while she says, every pinup section needs some cheesecake. Ha 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 That's... It's so fucking weird. Is it as weird as the actual cheesecake of Alicia? Yes. It's like two pages later in a swimming pool while everyone watches behind sadly <laughs> who knows <laughs> these 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 pages are definitely going up in the show notes yeah there's also uh mr fantastic saying uh cutting the uh hedge in connecticut saying that he does miss it followed by messy richards complaining about the letters pages yes 
everything about these pinups uh, it's weird it's weird. so strange weird yeah oh which is followed by franklin threatening the fans <laughs> on the next page hi fans i know you don't really mean to hurt my mom he says while looking the most threatening in the world yeah yeah exactly damn child yeah Oh my god, it's amazing. Well, because we have to power through these, we really don't have time, but I, you know, but it is something that that apparently in the course of people talking about Crystal coming onto the team, uh, this enormous contingent of Sue, Sue Storm is horrible and I wish they'd killed her becomes a weird ongoing motif in the comics where a lot of people talk about Sue Storm as conceited and a jerk. And it's kind of hilarious that it plays out in several issues and then gets a call out in pinup pages in an annual. Like, it's... What? Yeah. I, no, no, but twice. Mm -hmm. on, the Sue, on the Sue Richards page and on the Franklin Richards page. Yeah. It's wacky. More wacky, Jeff. <laughs> The crystal backup story. <laughs> oh, before the crystal backup story, they've got the crystal pinup page where she's like, it's great to be back with the Fantastic Four. I'll never leave again, Crystal. <laughs> Which is just... With, with the sign on top saying, obviously, this feature was completed before the astounding events of this issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone is having fun, and it's got to be Engelhart, right? I'm, someone I'm is having fun with these pinups. Yeah. It, it, it's amazing. The crystal backup, Jeff. Here's the crazy Jim Shooter thing. The writing credit of the Crystal Backup, which yes. I think you'll agree with me, is clearly written by Englehart, right? Yeah, right. The writing credit goes to Edward L. Norton. Mm -hmm. Putting aside the Ed Nortonness of it all, yeah. Edward L. Norton is a pseudonym for Jim Shooter. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because I, I, I saw that and I was like, this is really weird. Who's Edward L. Norton? Like, I wonder if there's a story behind this and the story is this it's jim shooter pseudonym it's a pseudonym wow isn't that really weird because it's clearly written by Engelhart. Mm -hmm. like shooter has been fired by marvel by this point exactly which is this the annual has the isn't the jim shooters the no, evicted it, tenant it's, it, no it's, that's a nice issue it's oh, 318 okay. okay terrific so yeah it's that's really weird and interesting um well, and you know what? I one of the things that I have to say that I really love about the this issue overall, the annual issue, is because um, I've got a handful of West Coast Avengers issues that I've that have been recollected and out there and that I've read, but they're not the issues that cover with Quicksilver. So I have no idea if he's lying or not. I sort of assume that he is. In the... yeah, I, I, I have read these issues and I honestly can't remember. Yeah. And so it's kind of great when he shows back up and he's like, no, it was Maximus the Mad. And she's like, oh, come on. He's like, no, I mean, really ask him, except he's mad. You know, like it is this thing of like, I don't trust him. But but also the end of the Crystal Backup is that Quicksilver, Quicksilver makes his plea to Crystal. Uh, she says, OK, let's go and help the FF. Uh, they're about to go into the next episode and they're going to confront the Beyonders. And Quicksilver says, no, we should we should really try and work on us. And then immediately goes to fucking phone Doctor Doom. Yeah. And says, you should know the FF are going to go into the next episode to find the Beyonders. And that's that's the end of the story. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really interesting because both you and I are like, yeah, I don't trust Quicksilver. And then he gives us the best reason not to trust him by the end of the story. Well, but the interesting part is the way that he frames it is I have a vendetta against Kristoff. And, uh, and which is true when he was in when he was acting as a super dick he basically swore vengeance on on Kristoff as he was Revenge escaping. On Christoph, yeah. 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 But the thing that I think is interesting and I don't think this would work with any other character but Quicksilver but I could see Quicksilver being quote unquote cured and still trying to swear yeah. vengeance on Yes. Yes. So the, to me I'm like, oh that's it it it's perfectly positioned. And um, and of course, then kicks the whole story into the next gear in issue 318. I also have to say, I'm never a big fan of, oh, the Inhumans, they're a bunch of shits sort of take that, that Marvel frequently takes when they're trying to do a hot take on the Inhumans. But I do kind of like the complex thing of... Crystal has to come back with the Inhumans because we're essentially royalty and we don't believe in divorce, which makes a lot of sense. And then is sort of softened by Black Bolt literally saying, like, you have to stay for a family and Crystal kind of having her epiphany um, and having it still be kind of a shitty situation. Like, Englehart hits a gray area with the Inhumans kind of like he does with Quicksilver that to me that works in a way that a lot of a lot of hot takes on the humans yeah, don't. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree because he makes them seem alien enough yet uh, human enough. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he and it's not the same way that Kirby did. Yes. Kirby made them seem alien because they were awesome in the literal sense. Yes, completely. Um, Whereas Stanley made them seem human because that's what Stanley Stanley did. Mm-hmm. Like Stanley turned every every everyone into like, hey, it's your sh- you know sticky neighbor from around the corner. Um, I, and Engelhart finds the same balance, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. In in a way in a way that is that is more thoughtful and I think makes sense. And make makes sense in a in a story generating way, which is ultimately the problem that uh Kirby has with the Inhumans because when they're not the superpowered tribe of Israel, you know, wandering through the desert, um Then what are they? Then what are they? Exactly. You know? It's that and it's Maximoff the the Mad one oh one. So and and that's it. So um so yeah I I I I like this annual. I didn't think it was quite as uh, enjoyably um wacky as the Doctor Doom previous annual, annual, but in part again as you point out which I think is a great point. The FF are largely reactive throughout the entire issue. Like honestly when you put down the annual you're kind of like Oh, the characters that seem to like everyone else has an agenda, like arguably, you know, sort of in the same way that Dr. Doom goes on to move into the protagonist position starting in 318. You could make the case that Quicksilver is the protagonist of of Annual 21, 
you know? Which is really interesting because he is essentially a supporting character in the main story. But it's, again, it's his actions that are driving everything. So he really is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His actions and Uh, his desires. Yeah. It's a fascinating thing that Engelhart does with Quicksilver and has done since his run started. Because, like, his run started with Quicksilver being the bad guy. Yeah. You know? And, And, but the strange thing is. The annual is the end of Crystal in this book. Yeah. Which, at least when I read it, uh, I had the feeling of like, oh, but she's coming back. You know? Yeah. No, you really think so. Yeah. This is is really the end of Crystal. Yeah. But it is. Which is (laughs) really weird. That's the strangest thing. Yeah. Because of that, the FF literally doesn't have, like, has three members for the next, like six or seven issues well i mean more to the point uh, although it makes sense like in real life people have continue to have moral dilemmas about situations that they don't know are actually over you know yeah but in comic books it's really weird because johnny continues to basically say what am i going to do i'm in love with two different women and it's like dude this is over like you know why are you kind of why are you still doing this and sort of you know why is Enkelhart still pursuing this like was yep. he did someone say like hey good news Steve we really love everything you're doing by the way get rid of Crystal because we can't have you know like people are way too uncomfortable with the idea that he's going to actually cheat on Alicia you got to get rid of this now and it's like, but I have all these issues where he's like beating himself up over it. And it's the internal hero heroic struggle. And it's like, sure, you can have that. But you can't have us basically thinking that the next page is going to be the two of them in bed together. You've got to basically eliminate that now. So and Engelhart being yes. And, so, you know, so who knows? Yeah. Something that is worth noting is that Engelhart started when Jim Shooter was editor in chief. And is very vocal in in talking about this era of very quickly finding himself at odds with editorial. Yeah. Uh, because he, he does want to keep not even necessarily pushing the book forward, but pushing the book in different directions. And that that that's not what editorial wants. Well but to the point where uh, you know where we finish mm-hmm. the this episode Mm-hmm. Like two issues later, Reed and Sue are back in the book, and he didn't want that. Which I get. I mean, the thing that's crazy about it is the extent to which, a, as I remember, and I could be dramatically uh, mistaken, Ralph Macchio, who is Englehart's editor, was a fan of Englehart's books. Like he's got a letter in a letters column for one of Engelhart's books, basically praising him to the skies. I want to say, and it might be something weird, like his run on Captain Marvel, you know, like something like, I don't know why I'm 90% sure this is the case, but it was kind of like, Oh, it's weird. They're editing. And there's so many little, um, you know, uh, all the little editorial footnotes that, that, Ralph Macchio has in here, which are always like retcon Ralph and, you know, you read it here first, Ralph, or like there's even there's even the the Ralph 
a sound effect they had Ralph Onomatopoeia at one point in these issues that really makes it seem like Englehart and Machio are having a great time or or someone wants us to think so very very yeah. heavily you know and yeah. it's yeah so it's that that in itself is kind of weird and heartbreaking because it's definitely being held up like a completely different issue which is yeah you know so anyway yeah it's uh we uh, Graham, we gotta we gotta cover three eighteen and I guess three nineteen according to you and cover it like the wind. Technically, we have to cover another seven issues. We'll, yeah. we'll see if we actually manage that. I don't think we will. Spoilers, <laughs> everyone. We might just make it so far and then give it up as a bad job. Three eighteen brings in Doctor Doom and, as we were saying before, really brings a new impetus to the book. Yeah. Uh, the issue yet again begins without the FF, and actually. That's really interesting. The annual did begin with the FF on the first page. That's right. As opposed to every other issue in this pretty much uh, in this run. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Anyway, it begins with um Owen Reese being attacked by a, a stranger. Turns out to be Doctor Doom. You know it's Doctor Doom because three finals in he announces himself die for the triumph of Doctor Doom. Yes. Um but he's trying to kill Owen Reese, aka the Molecule Man. Spoilers, doesn't work. Right. Even though he seemingly makes Owen Reese bleed brown, really not quite sure what was going on there. Yeah. Genuinely have no idea. Owen is left alive. That's going to play into Nets' issue very significantly. He goes to visit Alicia. Alicia. Yeah. Alicia's apartment. And when he, he hits her buzzer, you get to see that in the apartment next to Alicia is Jim Shooter, who has been evicted. <laughs> So I guess that was made just after the shooter was fired then. Who knows? Dr. Room and Alicia show up at the Baxter Building. Uh, sorry, not even the Baxter Building. Four Freedoms Plaza, as it is now. And Johnny gets get very upset and attacks Dr. Doom, which, of course, leads to the rest of the team kind of attacking Dr. Room, only for Alicia to be like, shut up, you, you guys. Yes. I want you to help Dr. Doom. Right. And they are skeptical with good reason because Dr. Doom then immediately is like psych throwing you five seconds in the past sorry two seconds into the past right. while I break into relab and get into the, uh, the negative zone I kind of love the Dr. Doom even when things are going his way is still like I am the greatest <laughs> well the two things that I love about him is is that he's like I am the greatest, but also kind of a oh I know what I'm doing. And then at a certain point, like Johnny insults Doom enough to where he loses his temper or is like gonna like I'm going to kill you now. And Alicia steps in the way and is like no no that's enough, which is which is again I I really love Englehart's take on Doom. I really, really do. And so whenever he steps in, it peps up. But again, I mean, so you've got six, it's six pages in the issue. One thing that we should point out, which I think is significant, you do not find out that the, that Dr. Doom is attacking, that the man that uh, he's attacking on the street is Owen Reese until halfway through page three. So just basically is Dr. Doom showing up and attacking a guy holding some groceries and is like, die for the triumph of Dr. Doom. That's a great little hook. And then three pages later is a, an almost Silver Age 
cover DC Silver Age cover hook of Doctor Doom is fighting my husband and I and you guys need to hold back so Doctor Doom can win, you know? It's Engelhart's really kind of like three pages after that he's got dr doom being like okay so um so we're gonna work together right no okay fuck you you're two seconds in the past and now i've thrown us all into the fucking negative zone exactly it's the best thing psych yeah exactly runs into the negative zone but he doesn't throw them all into the next one he jumps in the negative zone they have to follow him yes in their their uh, essentially adventure squinjets because that's what they do cut back to the Molecule Man, who is in hospital and in a coma, and Volcana is very upset about all of this, cut back to the Quinjet, where the Fantastic Four are essentially being the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Johnny is, is giving a hard time, while Ben and Jerry are, are, are getting affectionate, mm-hmm. being happy in love. Uh, and then... Because of course they do, because Steve Englehart just can't let things lie. They're attacked by Blastar, the living bomb burst. Yeah. Right. Of course they are. And then rescued by Doctor Doom. Right. Because Doctor Doom, once again, is like, you guys, we're all friends, right? Yeah. I do love that because there's there's basically Blastar catches them off guard. It's like his home territory. He hammers all the characters there's a great page turn where it's like the bottom of the page is like the torch's flame power is formidable and in time he'll escape that rocky prison but he'll keep while I'll rip you two open and you turn the page and he's still gloating and Doctor Doom is just silently leaping up on him I love that page I, I love that little page turn so much of just, you know, Blastar being like, no one can save you now. And you just have that great moment as a reader of like, oh, shit, he's going to get his ass kicked. And sure enough, Dr. Doom beats him in one page. And it's just it's just great. It's just I I I love that part so much that um, it's. Like you said, Blastar, you're like, oh, God, not Blastar. He's so tedious. And it's just so delightful to be Dr. Doom be like, nope. <laughs> I love it so much. But also delightful is the the end of the issue where Doom basically makes the case of, like, we should work together. And the thing says, we're stuck with him. And Dr. Doom goes, we're all in this together. And then immediately thinks, but well, all we must all ask ourselves is, for how long? I do love that. I love the idea. Love the idea that Dr. Doom literally can't team up with anyone without immediately going, I will betray you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is impossible for Dr. Doom to be like, let's work together. I will kill you. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, one of the things that I do love is is that you had sort of Master Pandemonium's kind of like uh, earlier sort of similar deal that he struck and he and the FF all honored it, you know? And yes, exactly. uh and then you very much get a case where that's where the where to see that sort of mirrored and ha- because it's Doctor Doom, he's at the one hand somehow more like um just just that beautiful mix of, well of course I'm the most honorable person in this agreement and literally, like, I'm going to fuck you all over, like, any time now. Like, exactly. His but you know that those two things, they completely coexist in his mind. Right. Which is one of the wonderful like, things he, about he, him. Yeah, exactly. He completely believes that he is 
the most honorable person, and that's what gives him permission <laughs> right. to fuck them over. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It is one, which is uh, like which which is one of the joys of Doctor Doom. Yeah, you know, if you're doing Doctor Doom right, then Doctor Doom completely believes that he has the 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 right to fuck anyone over. Yeah, because he is Doctor Doom. Yeah, exactly. It's that simple. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. 319, issue 319. The 506F have reached the, the end of the greatest quest as Stanley presents Secret Force 3. Right. I, I picked this up from R.S. McCall, a local news agent, uh, when it came out, which is apparently 1988, looking at the, the yeah. edition. Um, because the front cover is an amazing front cover by Ron Friends and uh, Joseph Nett. Doctor Room versus the Beyonder featuring the Molecule Man and let's not forget the FF2 and that completely sucked me in. I bet. I bet. And then I woke up and it said Secret Wars 3 and I was like I want this comic. <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. I like Secret Wars so much. I didn't like Secret Wars 2 but the prospect of the Beyonder versus Doctor Doom right. completely sold me completely sold me right right i get it uh, and, and honestly this this is for all of its ridiculousness and this uh this is a ridiculous issue and the 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 plot of this uh feels classically engelhartian mm-hmm. in a weird way that there is a, a quasi existential level to this mm-hmm. um for all of that, it still felt a more fulfilling conclusion to the Beyonder story than Secret Wars 2 did. Okay, so this did work for you as uh, way back when, then? Yeah, yeah, so I would have been uh, 13 when this came out. Oh, okay. 13, uh, this is a great issue to read at 13. That's what, I, that's what I was going to say. This totally worked for me as 13. Yeah. Because, it, because Englehart is not as deep as he thinks he is, but when you're 13, Englehart is the right level of deep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, agreed. Well, and there's there's some stuff in here. Uh, you know, there is one thing I want to point out before we get too heavily into it. The cover, the first page of Secret Wars three, and also I want to say the splash page of issue of FF three eighteen, because I guess John Workman is doing the lettering, the weird um, all type. Uh, whatever you would call it splash sentence like the ff the fabulous yeah. ff face their greatest challenge shorthanded or do they with that weird like combo of type that's it's uppercase and lowercase um these two these two splash pages in particular made me think of grant morrison's doom patrol where you had workmen breaking out i must have been doing the lettering on that too where they're where he did a he's lot. breaking out the letter set. Yeah, he's breaking out the letter set, but there it's done for that weird, like, to keep you kind of off guard, you know, to kind of give you that weird, like, oh, you're getting a comic book experience once removed. And then to to have him go back and throw that on a quote-unquote legit comic like this really adds this weird extra level of enjoyment to me in this idea of like Englehart is really is writing comics that are so insane. Grant Morrison is trying to make fun of them 
like five years earlier before they're written so or whatever it ends up being so it's or no three years from now i guess god time travel anywho secret wars <laughs> 3 is yeah go do a plot synopsis jeff because i feel i would uh tie myself in not uh, okay. Uh, see, the thing is, is that at least you'd read it twice, basically. So, <laughs> Doom and the FF are, and I say the FF, the F3, uh, Johnny, Ben, and Sherry are heading into what Doom believes is the, um, he's deduced what happened to the Beyonder after he was destroyed on Earth. He Doom believes that uh, the Beyonder's power exploded into a new universe, which can be reached through the negative zone, the crossroads of infinity. And then basically Doom being Doom says to Ben Grimm, okay, now you're going to do everything that I say, pilot us precisely as I direct. Um, there's a great little uh, panel of each of the our four characters um, thinking like having their little, you know, as they fly into the crossroads of infinity and each of them are having their own thoughts and it runs the gamut from basically like Johnny being like, I'm in love with two women to Dr. Doom being like, I'm glad to know that I can still kill someone with my own two hands. And Ben Grimm basically being like, what's for lunch? You know, you cut from there to the molecule. <laughs> which, which man. Is, it's completely true. It's, Here we go. It's Ben's entire thing. It's so great. <laughs> You get the Molecule Man who has recovered from his almost near-death accident to to basically realize that since he can control space and time, he can flip back and see what happened on the attack that he doesn't remember, figures out that Dr. Doom attacked him, uh, realizes that, like, like hmm, they're, as they're trying to figure out, like, why Dr. Doom did it, they get kicked out of the cab. Alicia, who has to basically monitor a fractal, basically has to monitor a visual video screen, even though she can't see, but she can because that's how awesome Reed Richards' invention is, gets to actually see um, the ship piloted by Ben disappear from her screen slash reality, fly through a psychedelic vagina, and end up in... What's and this is a great little moment from Engelhart. Basically, they skip through four different universes, and in one of them, they actually cross a spaceship that has Reed, Sue, and the Silver Surfer all kind of looking at them, being like, What the fuck? and then finally, they pop up in the final universe, which is a universe that where the Beyonder is everything. Uh, you can... it, it, and also, it's purposely God. Yes. Like, they're, they're, the Beyonder explains this at one point, and you see that everyone worships the Beyonder. There's even a mention of the Beyonder Quran. Oh, God, I love the Beyonder Quran. Yeah, that, that really is something. Uh, so you basically get a situation that's kind of Starlin Inglehart 101. How do you fight a godlike being whose power is uh, infinite? You um, basically talk with him, argue with him, and tempt him with something that he that that stirs his curiosity. In Doom's particular case, he is. I need you to restore my memory of the events I lived through. Um, 
during the time in the Secret War because I have to be able to defeat the usurper on my throne and I can't do it unless I'm complete. If I don't have my uh, memories, I will not be complete. Beyonder's like, uh, what's it going to hurt? And then basically Cubic and the Shaper of Worlds show up to tell Beyonder not to help Doom when the Beyonder's like, come on, look at me. I'm awesome. I'm, you know, dressed in my goofy silver armor and I can do whatever I want. Uh, the Shaper and Cubic basically spend some time battling him at a super cosmic level uh, until the Molecule Man shows up and is basically like, uh, dudes, Beyonder, you can't do this because I happen to know that if you give the power, if you give Doom his memory, um, it, he's going to, uh, once you have a complete mind, you expect you'll know how to do it right. Because essentially the reason why when Doom first got the Beyonder's power and fucked it up in the first Secret Wars, it's because he was plucked at time in the future where, again, his memory was still incomplete. Essentially, if Doom gets his power back, it gets his memory back, he'll be able to figure out a way to take the Beyonder's power again and this time win with it. And the Beyonder... And Doctor Doom is actually like... I knew you'd see that. That's why I attempted to destroy you. And I knew the Beyonder wouldn't see it until it was too late. Ah, well, it was worth the try. The best part is that is that Keith Pollard draws Doom with, like, a sad, crestfallen face. The kind of face that, like, when you're going to school and your mom packs the lunch that you don't like, you know? It's <laughs> amazingly... Yeah, it's just like, oh, no. Oh. I'm so sad at this weird trivial level, which is so funny because it's at such a level of like, I could have had the supreme power. Anyway, we get to the point which Englehart has been building toward, which is the origin of the Beyonder and how it ties into Cubic and the Shaper of Worlds. As you know, I love the Shaper of Worlds and I miss the story where it turns out that the Shaper is essentially the scrolls version of the Cosmic Cube that has achieved sentience, just as Cubic is the uh, Cosmic Cube of our Earth that has achieved sentience. And in fact, as we've discovered, the Beyonder, uh, which has been set up and Jim Shooter's origin as uh, basically a sentience that comes into the universe when the molecule man gets his powers and rips into reality. Uh, we essentially learn that the Beyonder and Molecule Man are basically a cosmic cube that never achieved its cubeness. It never was a created shape with balance and form and therefore are being torn apart by varying levels of desire to become complete or, or as cubic puts it you know they gave intelligence the chance to control its evolution evolution is key so um, which is such an Engelhartian line yeah absolutely i mean it really is as i again i say this is someone who thinks the millennium was great and millennium spends an entire issue with characters counting to 10 illustrating each of them with a cosmic lesson that is utterly meaningless yeah. but once again when you're 13 years old, holy shit, 
that's the deepest shit in the fucking world. Well, but I think agreed, agreed. It's fun. I mean, Englehart, you know, talks about like that stage in his life where he, you know, moved to San Francisco and started driving a cab and you know, discovered the Kabbalah and all sorts of occult stuff. And he understands the appeal of the occult, which is the idea that these simple truths hide the more super profound truths. And um, personally, I think that there's something to be said for the fact that the Beyonder is desire and desire ends up manifesting itself literally into the Beyonder Quran and the Holy Beyonder Bible, and that is more or less um, countered by two beings basically saying, uh, you know, intelligence and evolution. So, on the one hand, it seems faux deep. On the other hand, Englehart really is making a mission statement that is an argument for rationality. And let's face it, you know, religion and evolution do end up, religion certainly these days in America ends up treating evolution like the enemy. And it's interesting that uh, Englehart, in his bizarro occult humanist rationalist, like an, an, an occult rationalist, if there is such a thing, basically makes this big pitch for the humanity needs to be able to have self-determination. Um, and the Beyonder more or less renounces his ways as desiring um, to be the object of religious adoration and gives way to, uh, again, a form, which is the crazy part. He gives away to what is quote-unquote rational thought by succumbing to what is a complete abstract mystical experience. Like, yeah kind of crazy right so um oh it... no of the of the four deep Engelhart comics mm. of 1988 this is one that you can actually argue <laughs> some depth to yeah I, I was i was more making fun of there is literally an entire issue of millennium yeah you're just, where, you're just you know, like i just want to give the shout out to millennium damn it no 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 but but where he teaches like you know here are the 10 cosmic lessons oh, that will explain life to you I do and remember none those. of them make any sense yeah it really is that, that's really that was really what i was i was making fun yeah. of because there is i there is depth to this although uh part of me wonders how much is intentional how like how much he sort of backs into depth right do you know what i mean like i i'm not sure how much of the subtext you're drawing from this was intentional well uh, it I think it's hard when it's literally you've got the Bible, the the Beyonder Quran and the Bible, and then you literally have two figures talking about evolution in the very next panel. But you're right, knowing Englehart, it's still mostly unconscious, but he will take full credit for it on his webpage anyway. Well, of course, that's that is the that's Engelhardt. the given. Yeah, <laughs> that that is Englehart. The issue ends with the Malhuman and the Beyonder surrendering their individuality to become a cosmic cube. That because it has just been formed, grants anyone a wish, and Doctor Doom, being amazing, immediately gets his memory back by wishing yeah. for it. Yeah, and then everyone ends up back on Earth before the thing realizes that he wants to wish for universal peace, which I love. Mm -hmm. I love. That, like that's his first thought yeah and, and and also that shari very quickly is like you didn't wish that we could be human again 
And he's yeah. like, no, I'm I'm fine with how we are. Yeah. Uh, I also love about the ending that Doctor Doom pretty much is like, got my memory back, gonna fuck you up, but first of all, gonna get left ear back. See you later. <laughs> Doom is just so great. He really, he is, I love Engelhart's Doom so, so much. Yeah, it's just absolutely the best. Um, so Graham, we still got, we still got. Four, I was going to say, two, let's, five yeah, let's left. just let's just do like three twenty and three twenty one and quit. Okay, because it's already going to be over the two hour mark at that point. Yeah, exactly. And we have already recorded an hour's worth of another podcast. Oh man, <laughs> like. There is a logical point where we are not going to be able to speak, and yeah. we're probably speaking to that very quickly. Very quickly. Uh, everyone, we're going to be doing 3-2-2-3-3-3-3-2-4 next time, which kind of makes sense, actually, because it, it starts yeah. a cycle that, that will continue without, uh, with the next things. Um, three two zero, my friends, is I found a really frustrating issue, to be perfectly honest with you. It is a crossover with the Hulk mm-hmm. that doesn't work for me and i don't know why pride goeth or the fabulous ff aren't in this picture but who would want to be as stanley <laughs> presents pride goeth um, yeah it, it's uh, it, it's a classic marvel setup L- literally yeah the uh, doctor Who manipulates the hulk into fighting the thing the gimmick this time around is that the thing uh, the hulk is the gray hulk who mm-hmm. is at this point continuously presumed dead and in fact living as a, a bodyguard and, and fixer in Las Vegas. And so the thing pretty much spends the entire issue going, this guy's really like the Hulk, but the Hulk's dead. And the Hulk was green and this guy's gray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love. Like, I, I love that part of it. But the, it feels a, uh, maybe just because like the other issues have, have had such ambition, like I said, mm-hmm. this feels like weird filler. This feels like half of an annual. Well, I think, yeah, it feels like half of an annual. Uh, and I think it also has a, um, I think, I, you know, if we do buy into this idea that Englehart is doing stuff that, that is sort of classic Englehart moves, but on the FF in a way that is weird and you don't know what to expect, we're back on super familiar ground. Like, Englehart's still kind of doing a like, oh, I'm doing a thing versus the Hulk, you know, issue. Like everyone loves it when the thing fights the Hulk. And this time both characters are so different that the fight's going to go in totally different ways. And that is true, but A, arguably it's still boring. And B, part of that (laughs) is, is because in no small part, it's still all being told from, um, it's still the whole kind of driving the issue. You know what I mean? Like after Dr. Doom basically goads him into fighting the thing, which seems kind of dumb, you've got the Hulk doing all this stuff. Like I've got a jetpack and I can fly around and I'll never know who I am. Uh, and, and basically the, like the whole thing is, is that he's like, as long as I don't open my mouth, he won't know that it's me. And the, and of course, Ben keeps saying all this stuff where the Hulk is like, God damn it. I've got to, cor- I just, ah, oh. I mean, so it's really a whole, arguably it's an issue of the Hulk inside an issue of the FF. Um, and in, a, it's sort of 
fun again also with the with the the uh cliffhanger which is just as the thing has beaten the the hulk and is and is you know kind of getting ready to give him a classic knuckle sandwich on the last page the green skin hulk shows up and is like you know hulk smash and and everyone's like who wait you know ben's like wait the hulk is alive and the hulk is like wait i'm the hulk who the fuck is that and wait he's not alive he's also like wait am i the hulk yeah which is great he's like if that's the hulk then who am i which i think is honestly that's such a great little fun and then because because engelhart's the classic riffer issue 321 is miss marvel versus she hulk so you have she thing wait, versus she wait wait but... be- before we get before right. we get to that there's a point uh, there, there's two points in this where uh, it makes me think that Engelhart is Engelhart's conflict with editorial is starting to overwhelm him. Mm. First of all, the fact that it does start as so many of these issues have with a splash that doesn't include the Fantastic Four, but you have the line that Fabulous FF aren't in this picture. Mm, that's but true. The, the full page, uh, oh not sorry, it's not a full page splash, but when the Hulk attacks the thing for the first time, mm-hmm. there is the caption, "Okay, action fans, this one's for you." Mm. It feels weirdly um, not just self-aware, but kind of grumpy about it. Well, yeah, yeah, right. There is a little bit of a um, like a, it's yeah for at for whatever reason it you're right that it is he's hanging a lantern on this is a course corrective you know and kind of like this is what you guys want right. Like, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like you, you guys have been complaining about this. Okay, I'm giving you what you want. This, right. this is it. This, yeah. this is what you've been asking for. This is the story. That you're like this, right? This is it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I, I honestly wonder if they do like it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I wonder if this is what the fans wanted because, like I said, it, it didn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. Like it, it didn't work for me to the point where I didn't even follow the cliffhanger to the Hulk 350. I know you did. What yes. is so? What is the the end of the cliffhanger? Is that a Doombot or something? Oh, it, of the... it, it's actually very funny. It it the the Hulk. It is. It's a robot, but it's the robot Hulk that the Eternals fought in the Kirby issues. Oh my God, that's amazing. Which is genius. And then Doctor Doom is like, "Yeah, I saw you were getting your ass kicked. I totally." underestimated your abilities so i you know quickly found the hulk bot and assembled it to like kick the thing's ass and then you have the thing basically realize that he's fighting a robot uh kicks you know defeats the robot and then uh the hulk is kind of like you know what i'm gonna win this fight and i'm gonna win it by fighting dirty and he basically proceeds to um, more or less rope-a-dope uh, Ben Grimm across Central Park, then um, knock him into the water and then give him the Heimlich maneuver so he loses all of his air and then is about to kill him and then is kind of like, yeah, and I'm the thing, so fuck you. Um, by the way, for those people who are reading issue FF320 and have access to the GIT scans or the original comic, it's very exciting. If you look on the bullpen's uh, bullpen bulletins page, you'll uh, be surprised to learn, as I did, that 
Bob from Twin Peaks was actually an editor on Marvel Comics. <laughs> Gregory Wright, come on. What are you talking about? He was a classic Marvel editor. He, he Also, on that same page, you'll see that uh, the Punisher War Journal issue one came out that month. Wow. As did Doctor Strange number one and Wolverine issue one. It was a banner month. That was kind of the beginning of the 90s, wasn't it? This issue didn't work for me. And also, I should say, 321 really doesn't work for me. 321 really feels like filler. Oh, 321 is tough, in in part because there is a level of... this at least feels consistent as far as the art goes. You know, like it's like has, has Ron Lim as the the penciler and Romeo Tangal as inker, and it kind of looks terrible. <laughs> it really does, doesn't it? It's just, it's not, it's not great. It's not. It's it doesn't. It's not consistent. It doesn't look. Also, there's a lot of everything that Pollard has been avoiding in terms of cheesecake in a book with two female characters with She-Hulk. Oh, like Ron, Ron Lim just like jumps into it. Yeah. Although to be fair, I feel that Englehart jumps into it too. Well, yeah, that's actually the denouement. But see, that's it. I think Englehart is trying to be saucy and Pollard is kind of working against that and it ends it ends up being to the book's benefit. Here, left to his own devices... Or, you know, having a co-enabler in the part of Ron Lim, the whole thing feels much yuckier than it needs to be. So, yeah, which is a shame because not that like Burton was definitely went creepy with She-Hulk more than once. Mm -hmm. But she was I don't want to say she was aware of it because, again, that suggests she's alive. She's not. She's a fictional character. But there was an attitude to the character that made her feel uh, resistant to it that Engelhart doesn't have. Engelhart seems to make her enjoy that kind of attention and seek it in a way that I think Byrne didn't have her do. And for some reason, that matters to me. You know what? I A, I agree with you. I think a lot of it may be, it could be, part of it is this is sort of, a one shot. I arguably Engelhart has to have the the whole hook, which is essentially that the Hulk and the She Hulk and She thing fight for a while until they basically get you know more or less tired of it. Go and get you know uh, drinks in a restaurant together, and then Dragon Man comes, is completely fixated on Miss Marvel to the point of ignoring She Hulk until She Hulk. Uh, basically starts flirting with Dragon Man so aggressively he gets scared and flies off. And it's it's all terrible. It's all it's fascinating <laughs> how much Engelhart is on a real slippery slope of really wanting to write, you know, strong female characters and write about a variety of them in different situations and different conflicts. And yet he still is gonna break it down to kind of a wubba wubba sexy hacha hacha kind of way. Uh, and it's, it's frustrating. Like you said, Byrne did that, but Byrne's also kind of in that mode of like, Oh, but Jen Walters is intelligent and she's got her act together and she's 
you know, in his weird way, Byrne, who's who again has this like I can show everyone what a real feminist looks like, and fuck you, Chris Claremont, uh, goes to great lengths to make uh, She-Hulk feel like a, a fully rounded character, you know, including in that sort of 80s guy way, meaning like, and that means she's okay with sex, guys. Yeah, I said it. I'm a feminist, you know, and well, that's like just sex. it. Like, Engelhart really does have a lot of that in him. <laughs> Engelhart, like, like yeah. if you think about not, I mean, not so much FF, but definitely, um, I would say Screen Lantern Core does. Mm-hmm. I would say, like, definitely things like uh, Coyote do mm-hmm. does. You know, and and it's just he's he's like, hey. She's totally down with the sexes. Like, <laughs> like she'd, she'd do sex. Exactly. Guys, and you're like, she oh, does the oh, sex no. all the time. Right? Yeah. yeah. She's very familiar with the sexing. <laughs> and it's just... And it's just embarrassing. Like, it's embarrassing even, you know, back then. But yeah. now it's especially embarrassing. Yeah. Completely. You're like, did you really think we're being, like, progressive? Yeah. <laughs> because uh, this is horrible. Yeah. Spoilers, you know, and, he did. And... <laughs> <laughs> he did on his website, he will tell you. Well, we keep mentioning the website. What not, if you've never been to steveanglehart.com, you should go to steveanglehart.com. It's, first of all, you'll see why Jeff and I like Steve Englehart so much, because his body of work is really impressive. Yeah. But you'll also get to see Steve Englehart's commentary on his work and his place in the industry. And let's just leave it as Steve Englehart is a very healthy ego. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that website makes that clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for abundantly. Abundantly. Yeah, it was it was amazing. So, so I forget. Did you say that we're spared and we're sparing our readers and this is uh, listeners and this is where yeah, we're stopping? Let's, yeah, let's actually stop here. Because yeah. I think we're both running out of steam. One nuts. It's ten thirty-eight p.m. as we record this. We have since we did the other. <laughs> we've been talking since before seven o'clock. Oh Jesus! Um, and that's that's long enough. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. So we will be covering Ned's time. Let's make it sensible, shall we, Jeff? Please. Shall we do like three two two through three two four? Three. Sounds great. <laughs> No. <laughs> okay. Uh, three two nine, maybe. Th- through three two nine. Okay. You you uh, have sense. Do you want to check? Do you want to jump ahead oh, and make I, sure? It's yeah, a... I'm actually looking right now and fucking. Okay, I guess three through three two seven, because as much as I want to get to the end of the angle heart run, three two eight actually starts the run that goes all the way through three two four, uh, three three four. Okay. And I don't want to let's do twelve issues again. Okay, that sounds great. Let's do that. It'll be containable. It'll allow for uh, um, more of our classic wait, what, digressive type goodness. I, I, I will also tell you, so not only are we doing 322 through 327, but um, there is not an annual next time. Okay. We are, we are annual free. 
Okay. Well, which is fine, because knowing Englehart, this might lead it, you know, I really did find myself being like, oh, I'm going to read the Spider-Man annual, and here, you know, like the backup and the high evolutionary, and oh, I'll follow this into the Hulk 350, and there was something else where I had a like, oh, I should follow this into this, and then I was like, holy shit, I will never be finished with these comics if I really start doing this, so. Um, I, I will tell you this. 326 is when Stephen Carr starts writing under pseudonym because he's that upset. Three, oh, really? 326 through, and then he's on the book through 334? 333. Oh, 333. Jesus. Okay. Well, that's that's kind of a shame because there is a way in which Englehart, like, despite me being like, ah, yeah, it didn't work for me, or ah, this is a thing. Like these, I think these were readable comics, even the 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 two two kind of flops that we talk about at the end. Um, you know, they're not horrible. You know what I mean? I they're. Well, no, They're I, disposable, I, I think, but yeah, you know. I think three, two, one is kind of horrible, to be honest with you. Oh, is that the I Dragon Man two, one? I think you're right. That's the that's yeah. the the uh, she thing versus she Hulk. Yeah, she thing, she Hulk. Yeah. That that is is kind of horrible. It yeah. is so throwaway. Yeah, um, and ends with that that kind of horrific denouement. That that it's yeah, that's kind of horrible. Yeah, um, but definitely like three fourteen through three twenty are are strong issues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Exactly. There's varying degrees of like, holy shit, I'm, I'm, this is amazing. But for me, I mean, hopefully all the whatnots, uh, you guys have heard us on Wait What Podcast, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty rabid Englehart fan. So for me to be, be like, yeah, this is kind of disappointing for me. I'm like, it's disappointing for Englehart for me, which means it's still some pretty crazy fucked up shit, which still has ambition to burn which is really kind of amazing that's that's an amazing thing considering this is a guy who is 20 some odd years into his comic writing career and it sounds like you know well we'll cover it what next time basically because i assume you've got some you know we'll have to hit the Englehart website and see what he has to say about the conflicts and and what was coming up so um, uh, well, basically, as, as soon as Reed and Sue return to the book. Oh, okay. Which is which is three to six. Which is a um, bummer. That is that yeah, is a drag. He's kind of checked out. Yeah. Like that's when he starts doing the, the pen name, and that that's when he's he realizes like, oh, I'm not actually in charge of this book. Oh. Which is interesting because he stays on for so long after that. Right. Right, right, right. Well, it's, I think I, I think yeah. Well, I, I haven't read the issue, so I'll see. That's what it was. It was the I when when um, Reed and Sue pop up, and there's a mention in the letters page that they're over in the Silver Surfer issue fifteen or sixteen. I was like, oh, I gotta read those. And then I was like, if I read those, I'll never, I'll never be ready for this episode. You know? <laughs> so. Well, you you have already read. Uh, three of the six issues we're reading at same Jeff. Look at it. Look at it that way. I've You're got a head ahead start. Of yeah, exactly. Yes. So. And so have you, whatnots, if you've been reading along. That's right. Sorry we couldn't go any further, but A, we're already over the two-hour mark, and B, we have already recorded an hour, another hour of a different podcast. Oh, my day. God. Believe me, people. Believe me. You don't want us talking anymore. I We don't. So, I mean. I Yeah, I None, none of us wanted to talk, which is why I'm going to tell you right now that show notes for this episode will be up uh, at some point on Monday. 
this episode is probably going to go live like Sunday night as as normally happens. But show notes will be up sometime Monday at waitwhatpodcasts.com. I've just finished writing about Watchmen stuff, so you're on your own, people. That's waitwhatpodcast.com. There will, I swear to God, this week will be much better about the Tumblr. Waitwhatpod.tumblr.com this past week just killed me with work deadlines because besides all the crazy old news stuff that was happening, you may have noticed the Justice League also came out, which meant I had some writing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also a Twitter account at Wait What Podcast. Jeff is solo on Twitter at Lazy Bastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I am solo on Twitter at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Mm-hmm. And we have a Patreon, which is when Jeff steps in to it's tell tr- you all about it. It's true. Although I do have to say, uh, A, uh, before I get there, uh, I want to thank you, Graham, for all of your Before Watchmen posts because that was great really heavily enjoyable reading i i thought it was oh thank you yeah i really enjoyed that uh b i should mention that matt turl uh is posting a little more regularly on the site these days he's been posting stuff on wednesdays uh, basically him doing reviews of comics that he's picked up recent old comics that he's picked up that's also a very enjoyable uh read so those of you who want a little bit of extra content Go check out the website. Um, and uh, I wish I could say, like, and I've been doing it too. But frankly, I've just been, like, crazily Jeff's barely. Jeff's been getting oh, killed at work. Fucking hell. It's been amazing. Jeff's been getting killed at work so much that occasionally Jeff and I will check in the middle of the week. And Jeff's just like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Very much so. Very much so. Which brings us, I guess, in a roundabout way to Patreon, uh, where a wonderful group of people uh, managed to keep uh, us interested and excited and, um, you know, keep keep our heads in the game uh, by saying like, hey, you know what? We dig what you do so much that we're willing to forward to you the fat stacks. So thank you uh, to all of our listeners. Yeah, exactly. I do love, I love fat stacks, fat (laughs) stacks from Matt stacks, Uh, including uh, all the, I was, I jumped ahead of it. I want to thank all of you, our listeners, Patreon supporters, and especially the kind crew at American ninth art studios, as well as Empress Audrey, queen of the galaxy to whom we're especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast and for helping create the warp tunnels that were able to tie together the Wulani, the Nostracafarians, the the shiny ass people from Shiny Planet Ten, the the weird penis shaped creature that we couldn't even talk about that Master Pandemonium ends up making sweat in a way that's very disturbing. Uh <laughs> Just so many, so many things that we are grateful for in a in a cosmically enhancing way. Graham? I think that's fair to say. People, it's been a weird one. It's been a full one. I hope you have gotten some of your money's worth. If not, search out these issues because these issues are really, really um, packed. Packed is a good way of putting it. Yeah. Packed yeah. is good stuff. Packed was bad stuff. We can't even read realize but it's definitely packed we will be back with a regular raid watch in a couple of weeks he says questionly yeah That's right right 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely next week. I believe my understanding next week is American Thanksgiving. It's going to be skip week for us. I believe we will have an episode recorded and up the next weekend, which is just at the very beginning of December. Uh, oh, wait, what? If not, you can always find out more details uh, on the t- Twitter, which I'm sure we'll update if for some reason we're like, oh, fuck it, it's not happening. Uh, as always, thank you very much uh, for listening. Because this is uh, Baxter Building. Jeff is the one who sings this out. Oh, I sure do. Yeah, thank you so much. And we will see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter Building.